Hello, Annie Grossman here. I am the host of School for the Dogs podcast and the owner and co-founder of School for the Dogs in New York City on East 7th Street uh, and 1st Avenue. Make sure you come on by when you're doing your shopping this holiday season. You can also shop with us at storeforthedogs.com. We specialize in selling toys that are meant to engage your dog's brain and mouth at mealtimes. Of course, we also have an awesome selection of treats. We have our own house brand of lamb lung, training tools, everything we sell. We uh, sell because we use these things ourselves. We use them with our dogs. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, just great stuff. So make sure you do shop with us this, uh, holiday season. We put a lot of love and effort into our shop and make sure to follow us on Instagram at school for the dogs because we do product giveaways every Friday. And on the topic of the holidays, I wanted to, um, talk pretty briefly actually today about Thanksgiving and your dog. At first I was thinking, uh, what could I do? Which is something I guess I've, I've done in the past. Like what behavior can we talk about for Thanksgiving that will help, uh, your dog, um, be a welcome guest in anyone's house. Um, but then I thought, you know, I think I would prefer to talk about what I'm thinking about this Thanksgiving, which is how I can make my dog feel good about all the new experiences she is going to have. This is our first Thanksgiving with Poppy, who is a sweet, wonderful, loving, cuddly, sensitive girl. And I have been way more honed in on thinking about how she, uh, how she feels in new situations than I have been thinking about what kinds of behavior she can uh, engage in or, you know, say perform um, in a new situation. That does not mean I have given no thought to her behaviors because classical conditioning and operant conditioning are happening all the time. So whenever I am rewarding her in any way, be it with food or attention, uh, I may be um, positively reinforcing some other behavior. Uh, so I, I do think about her behaviors, but if you have to focus on one or the other, the classical conditioning or the operant conditioning, in my opinion, when you're working with a, a young dog or a very sensitive dog or a very sensitive young dog, uh, you really kind of have to start at um, what I call criteria zero. Um, I very much think it's like sending a kid to school. And actually, just the other day, I, I wished I had recorded it. Uh, my daughter, who is two and I guess three, three quarters-ish, um, and has just started nursery school, um, she uh, was asking about Poppy going to school. And uh, she said, you know, Mommy, I go to school, and Poppy goes to school. And I said, yes, what do you do at school? And she said, I run around and play with my friends. And I said, and what do you think Poppy does at school? 
and she said she runs around and plays with her friends <laughs> and I thought you know what that should be what school is both for these you know tiny little kids and for a dog certainly like a dog like Poppy um, I I have often said to clients you know you send your kid to to kindergarten they come home with a crayon drawing you're gonna look at that crayon drawing with your eyes closed and tell them that it's the best thing that you ever saw right it doesn't even matter <laughs> you're not assessing the quality of the work at this point you are just um, trying to make them feel good about the experience of going to school at all and uh, this is something you as you go to your um, Thanksgiving dinners, friends giving dinners, as you socialize with other people, you may find that you need to explain this training. You may need to explain the difference between training a dog to feel good in new situations and uh, rewarding the dog for specific behaviors and why perhaps you are focusing on the former rather than the latter. You also need to just be a voice for your dog speaking speaking to each other it's a superpower that we have that we can use to help our dogs feel better in the world where we are asking them to live just yesterday uh i was with poppy at the studio and uh, a reporter was there actually shooting and she uh shooting for uh, for, about our schoolyard, um, which I am going to talk more about in a second. Uh, anyway, Poppy was there, and the the reporter, who was quite lovely, said, uh, uh, "Ask Poppy to sit," and she sat. And then she, I gave her a treat to give to Poppy, and she said, uh, "You know, like give paw." And I said, "Just tell her to be cute. Give her the treat." <laughs> She was like, oh, well, she's a dog trainer's dog. I thought she would know give paw. And uh, I said, I'm not training her on give paw right now. I'm just training her to feel good about being around uh, new people like you, which is not necessarily easy for Poppy. So feel free to steal my tell her to be cute trick when you have a relative who is uh, wanting to get your dog to do a repertoire of tricks, which, by the way, your dog may have and your dog may be uh, more than happy to do those tricks. Um, my last dog, Amos, was a super confident guy, loved showing off his, uh, his silly tricks. Uh, and um, although another dog training tip I have is if people are doing tricks with your dog, uh, assuming that... Um, you're, you you have trained your dog uh, using a uh, marker word, clicker, um, something to separate the reinforcer from the behavior using that conditioned or secondary reinforcer like a clicker. Um, you know that you do not want to have the food uh, visible. If you're using food, you don't want to have the food visible and, pre and present uh, in, right in front of your dog's face that can... Um, not only uh, is it just kind of uh, distracting to the dog, um, but you should not need the food there to lure the dog if you have really worked on shaping and refining behaviors you're working on. 
If that is not possible in that moment, you should be lowering your criteria to reward the dog, uh, certainly in a new environment for something that they really are able and comfortable doing. And, um, but the other thing is if you, you know, have, if you're using food reward and you have it visible while you're asking the dog to do something, um, you will, uh, very soon find that you, uh, do not have a dog who is paying much attention to the clicker. They're just looking for food and that can lead to a dog who's like, I'm only going to do it if I see that you have food, which, uh, is not great. We got to that point <laughs> with Jason whenever Jason was training Amos, where Amos was like, I will do the things for him if I see the treat present. Uh, so train, train people to hide that food until you use that clicker or marker word uh, if you're using that. But again, uh, your dog does not have to do anything other than exist and be cute if you have a scaredy dog like my sweet, sensitive, lovely Poppy. Um, also, don't be afraid to tell people what your dog needs. Hey, my, my dog does not like being pet by toddlers. Uh, you know, the dog, the toddlers, uh, you can always phrase it so that it's your issue, your dog's issue. <laughs> um, you know, since uh, we get labeled with our dog's issues sometimes, people always say they get it from the human, which I don't believe in. <laughs> I think <laughs> humans who are dealing with dogs who have issues are... Uh, humans who are very good people who uh, do not necessarily have the same issues themselves, but that is a common misperception that you may have to deal with, uh, as silly and crazy as that seems. Like, Poppy is not scared of uh, <clears throat> men with walkers coming down the street because I'm scared of men with walkers coming down the street, for example. Um, but, uh, yeah, you may need to explain to people um, how to interact with your your dog. You may need to uh, physically create some space between people and your dog. One reason that I am such a fan of uh, a good dog crate, uh, a crate that your dog enjoys being in, where your dog feels comfortable, um, something that you can bring with you, product plug I love the Revol Crate by Diggs, which we carry, now available in three sizes. Uh, I think it really is the best crate on the market um, because it can be open on two sides uh, and on the top. Um, and it can also be fully, fully closed. It folds down like a dream. Actually just got a second one because we live up two flights of stairs and as convenient as it is to bring it places, it uh, is not that convenient when to go up and downstairs. They haven't figured out how to make a crate that climbs its own stairs. Um, so uh, we got one to keep in the car, but um, I love traveling with it because it folds up incredibly easily and, um, and it has this news bed that uh, is super comfy and Poppy loves. So I have this like portable home for Poppy, which we are going to um, bring with us when we go visit our family for the holidays and uh, I am not afraid of having her be in the crate sometimes um, for a couple hours because uh, I know she's comfortable doing that. I've worked on that and it's a good reason uh, to work on crate training is because if you are going to be in a home where there's a lot of things going on and a lot of people around and you have a dog who maybe 
can't handle that necessarily that comfortably. If you are not ready to be there really working with your dog, as I imagine chasing after my toddler and holding my infant, I am not necessarily going to have the bandwidth to be working on doing counter conditioning with Poppy the whole time that uh, I am with my family. Um, so I expect she will be spending some time in the crate, which is not a bad thing, especially if I have her in there um, with some food toys, right? Or a bully stick in a bully stick holder <laughs> uh, or something else that she likes. Uh, keep her occupied, you know, um, giving her giving her a crossword puzzle to, <laughs> to do. Uh, I'll give her her food in a, in a topple or in a slow food bowl. Isn't it funny that there's a slow food movement and slow food bowls and they have nothing to do with each other? And uh, isn't it also impressive how I have worked in all of these product recommendations, which you can go buy at storeforthedogs.com, <laughs> and I have done it completely naturally? Um, all right. Uh, I think that was all the stuff I really wanted to say about Thanksgiving. Think about how your dog is feeling and advocate for your dog as needed because dogs are not our slaves. Most of us have dogs uh, in the modern world if we have them as pets, not because they are doing some kind of job for us, but because it is a hobby for us and we love them and we love taking care of them and we love giving them good things in life. And I believe if we focus on behaviors before we focus on making sure that dogs are comfortable as possible in the world that we're asking them to live in, in our human worlds. I believe if, uh, if we use any aversive methods uh, when not necessary, when we are um, thinking about behaviors before we're thinking about the way the dog is feeling, we're doing them a disservice, and um, all of this actually sort of ties into uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, which is some press that we've gotten for our schoolyard service over the last few months. All of these articles, there was one first in the uh, Wall Street Journal, and then one in the New York Post, and yesterday one in the New York Times, all of them have been uh, roundups of private dog runs in the city in the different boroughs uh, each one I think has had a slightly different selection and each of them has mentioned our schoolyard which is a little confusing because it's actually a service that we offer it's not just like a, a park with a key that you come to owners have to apply by going through a short exam on our site to make sure that they understand the rules and regulations they have to share footage of their dog and uh, playing and if it seems like it's something that we think would be right for that dog they're invited in for an evaluation and if that goes well and we think that schoolyard is right for them they're invited to become members uh, and even then they have to sign up in advance for the sessions that they want to go to so in my opinion it's a little bit of a stretch to call it a dog park, but it is a kind of dog park, I guess you could say. At least in New York City, where we are, if you think about a place where dogs can be off-leash with their owners uh, and play with each other or just sniff each other, 
you think of a dog park and so in that way it is that but we work to be very thoughtful about our dog park and um, not only of course want to make sure that it is a very clean place we also want to make sure it's a very safe place uh, we of course feel that um, dogs need to be spend a lot of their time off leash uh, with or without other dogs but socialization is not something that ends when your dog leaves puppyhood um, many dogs benefit in many ways from uh, getting the opportunity to hang out with other dogs and um, I think it's probably more fun for those dogs when they're showing up and they get to be with other dogs that are literally their friends rather than what so often happens at dog parks uh, which is that you kind of may not know who's going to be there when you show up and also in your typical dog park no one is in charge and people there might all have very different ideas about how dogs should be treated how dogs should be trained what is and isn't okay at a dog park um, it can be confusing a lot of play can look like fighting but not all arousal is necessarily bad so we provide a service that is um, unique and also uh, is something as that I see as being a place where dog owners can learn about dogs and learn to be better owners and when they do then take their dogs to the dog park if they choose to go to the dog park they're going to be entering the dog park as very informed smarter dog owners you can learn a lot by watching dogs of course um, but you can also learn a lot thanks to the fact that 100 percent of the time when we have schoolyard at our studio there is a trainer there the whole time to kind of narrate what's going on uh make sure that play the play that's happening is good play the trainer is in charge and is bringing their considerable expertise to that session now it's worth noting that this is not an inexpensive service and in each of these articles i would say the general bent of the article has been sort of you know wow the elite People of New York City sure do spend a lot on these possibly unnecessarily fancy things for their dogs, which is not a surprise to me because I feel like so much of the writing out there about dogs is kind of like that. So I wanted to just talk about the the money stuff, um, just be really upfront about it, and also uh, how it relates to, I think, the way people spend money uh, on pets in general first of all well I guess I should just state the cost uh, it is $200 a month right now that gets you five visits for the month you can also pay by the year in which case it's $2,200 uh, basically you get one month free if you pay for the year if you are a member of course there are a couple other perks you get 5% uh, off on all retail and a discount on services but uh, yeah it's $200 a month uh, which breaks down to $40 per visit now in New York City at least in central Manhattan where I work and live $40 is probably about the cost of taking a Pilates class or getting a pedicure or going out for 
couple glasses of wine. Those are all leisure activities that take about the same amount of time. That was, that was a five month old sneeze attack. <laughs> um, those are all services that take about the same amount of time. And, uh, you know, what you're paying to occupy space in a business in New York City, uh, let alone occupy space with someone who is uh, giving you their expertise during that time. And um, I'm saying all this uh, just to be clear. Uh, it's a service that honestly, overall, since we've been offering it, which has been about seven or eight years, has actually I think only really ever at best broken even. There are so many hidden costs uh, that the customer never probably even thinks about um, when uh, they enter a business. There are significant costs associated with every service we provide. To have someone there and have the lights on and to have batteries in the clock and keys that fit the door and business insurance and paid vacation days and so what we charge, as expensive as it is, is really basically only covering the costs of running the service, and we offer it nevertheless because it's something we believe is so important for dogs in general, and uh, certainly urban dogs in particular, and if we could offer it for free, we would. <laughs> so if someone's listening to this, and wants to start a nonprofit and uh, endow a uh, uh, low-cost, private, supervised New York City dog run where uh, a professional dog trainer could be paid to be there and vet the dogs before they show up and make sure that everybody's playing well with each other and give people a little bit of an education on dog behavior. In the meantime, uh, reach out. Let me know. Uh, I wish it were a service we could offer at a much, much lower cost to many more people because I think it is so effing fantastic. I think it's the way all dogs should be playing, but the fact is we have priced it as low as possible given the overhead of running a business in downtown Manhattan. You can apply to Schoolyard at schoolforthedogs.com slash application. And if you're not in New York and you're interested in Schoolyard, you know, you can kind of make your own. Contact a dog trainer in your area see if they know any other dogs who might be a good match play-wise uh, or just off-leash-wise, we should say, um, with your dog, age-wise, size-wise, and uh, see if you have a space in your home or, I don't know, someone's yard or a church basement somewhere where your dogs can meet up on the regular and play together and have that trainer there split the cost four ways or however many dogs you're going to have uh, and have that trainer be there to kind of coach you guys and uh, make sure that the dogs are playing well and help train the dogs to play and take breaks and do all the things we do The article is called, Does Your Dog Deserve 
a private park. Interesting uh, and not surprising title right there, as if dogs are a lower creature um, and it is uh, offensive um, to give them anything um, luxurious, even if it's a luxury that's going to improve their lives um, and make us happy too. Um, they mentioned a couple other dog parks. I thought one part was interesting. Most of the dogs, there's no, um, there's nothing that, I'm sorry, most of these parks, it doesn't talk about behavior. Uh, there's no specific um, behavior test uh, that's going on to get the dogs into the park. Although one place, uh, the West Village DOG Run on Little West 12th Street, they say that uh, they only allow dogs in who have proof of vaccination and are friendly with good manners. And I read that and I thought, what is, well, who's deciding what's friendly and what are good manners? Um, anyway, this is what it says about us. Um, when she became disillusioned with the public dog parks, Annie Grossman founded the School for the Dogs, which offers training programs. And according to its website, New York City's only trainer-supervised dog run, where member dogs can romp with their friends or simply enjoy off-leash time with their favorite person at our indoor-outdoor facility. Uh, quote, people sit on the perimeter in public runs and look at their phones. It's like the Wild West, Miss Grossman said. No one is in charge. It can be quite dangerous. Located in the East Village, the schoolyard, as the dog run service is called, is ideal for dogs who require a lot of attention and maybe a little extra supervision. No more than five dogs carefully matched by size and temperament are allowed in each 45-minute play yard. This is a big advantage for owners like Stephanie Higgs, whose seven-year-old Papillon Moo gets overwhelmed in public parks parks. Adam Davis, who supervises some of the classes, has 10 years of dog experience and keeps close watch on Moo, Bobby, Tacey, Lola, and other yard regulars, awarding treats when appropriate and fi firmly calling break when the dogs get scrappy or aggressive. <laughs> With its hefty membership fee, which covers five visits per month, the yard isn't for everyone, including dogs who like to run. The small outdoor space covered with pet-specific fake grass isn't exactly a leafy meadow, but sessions here train dogs and new owners alike to better understand dog play and ideally better navigate other dog runs. Now, as the owner of a business that offers this service, I can tell you that there are plenty of people in this world who will think that anyone is batshit crazy to pay what amounts to $40 for their dog to go to this highly curated, uh, highly customized private dog run uh, in Manhattan's East Village. People like April, who emailed us this morning after reading the New York Times article, uh, from her area code, it looks like she is in South Carolina. She wrote, what's with the puppy parents crap? People own dogs. It's dog owner, you buffoons. $2,000 plus for membership? New York City dog owners are the most idiotic snobs on earth. Dogs are so boring. Why all the fuss over these butt-sniffing scavenger animals anyway? So thank you, April, for this message. Uh, I wanted to address several parts of it. So first of all, puppy parent is a term that actually isn't used in the article, and I usually do refer to a dog's owner as their owner. Uh, dogs are legally considered property. At School for the Dogs, we sometimes refer to uh, the dog's owner as the dog's human. 
um, since it's really a relationship between two different species, one a human and one a dog. But anyway, I don't get too lost personally in the nomenclature of it all. If you want to call yourself your dog's parent, that really doesn't bother me. But I think what bothers April about the term, and I'm guessing here, is that it suggests we're treating our dogs as we would treat children, and I get that. But I also think it's not that crazy. I mean, if you want to spend a lot of money on your dog, as you may want to spend a lot of money on your child, that's your prerogative if you have the money to spend. I don't think most of our clients are choosing whether or not to come to schoolyard or come to any of our other uh, expensive services or whether to put food on the table that night. Uh, These are people who have dogs as a hobby. They have dogs to enrich their lives. The modern dog owners that we work with at School for the Dogs are not getting dogs as guard dogs. They are not getting dogs to tend the flock. They are not getting dogs to herd cattle. Our clients at School for the Dogs are getting dogs because they want to spend time with their dogs and watch their dogs enjoy life. And as a hobby that people are going to put money into, I personally don't judge that. Uh, I mean, not any more than I would judge the person spending $2,000 a year on, uh, I don't know, golf clubs. Or, you know, the person who's um, spending 90, 100 grand on a new car or $500 on a bottle of wine or running shoes or whatever it is that supports whatever it is that you're into during your non-working hours. And if one of your leisure activities is spending time with your dog and uh, enjoying life with your dog, watching your dog enjoy life, certainly there are many things you can do together that will cost no money at all. But there are other things uh, that you may pay for to, um, I don't know, help, I guess you could say, elevate, elevate your lives together. And I think that is what we offer at School for the Dogs in lots of different forms. And like I said, we are a business. That does not mean we are trying to become wealthy people, but a business has to charge money in order to keep itself going and keep itself healthy so that it can continue offering the kinds of awesome services that we provide to animals who we frankly are, in some cases, treating like children. And like I said, you don't have to agree with me, you might judge that, but I don't think it's, uh, beyond understandable. Dogs can be a hobby and think about the amount of money people spend on uh, other animals as a hobby, say, you know, horses. And it's interesting to compare that and the judgment around that um, compared to money that people put into other kinds of hobbies if they have the money to spend. Think about the money people sink into cars alone. In most cases, you, the person making the purchase, you acquiring this car, you are the person benefiting from the money that you're putting in. You can't point to another life that is necessarily better because of uh, this luxury purchase you've made. Uh, However, if the luxury purchase is something that you're doing to actually 
um, improve the life of a being that you have brought into your home and your world, I think that is uh, pretty cool. I don't know. Makes, makes sense to me. But it is also something I wish we could offer at a lower price point, which is true about all of our services. And by the way, is why we created our on-demand courses, which you can see at schoolforthedogs.com slash courses. It is why, in part, why uh, we do this podcast to give people free information. Um, it is why we have our scholarship fund, schoolforthedogs.com slash fund where uh, people can um, apply to get free private training with us. It's meant for rescue dog owners who are trying to do training so that they can keep a dog in their home. Behavior issues being uh, one of the major issues that dogs are returned to shelters. Anyway, we do what we can to offset the price that uh, we do charge a lot of money for our services. I think a lot of the biases uh, that people have when it comes to um, people spending money on their dog has to do with uh, what I think of as um, uh, a largely old-fashioned notion that uh, we all have dogs purely um, for reasons like uh, doing work for, on our farms or eating our scraps or protecting us. Uh, there are more subtle reasons why we have dogs in our home now. And then the other thing, what else did she say? Oh, she she says that we're snobs. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess I am a snob. I about, <laughs> I'm a dog park snob. I have strong feelings about what we should be asking dogs, how we should be asking them the things that we need from them and how we can set them up for success, how we can keep them safe. I have strong opinions about how I want other people interacting with my dogs. Uh, I have feelings about how I want other dogs to be interacting with my dogs. Yes, I have, I have elite opinions as I think many people who work at School for the Dogs do and many of our clients do about uh, something that maybe seems super basic, like a dog park. And if that makes me a snob, so be it. Hi, I wanted to let you know that I have a brand new, totally free masterclass available, and I'd love if you wanted to check it out. It's about an hour long, and it goes over three simple things that every dog owner needs to know in order to teach a dog quickly and easily without pain, force, a major time investment or fancy equipment. When you register, you'll also get a free 20-page ebook all about what I call the dog training triad. You can find it at anniegrossman.com/masterclass. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com. And you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app. Just visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.